0: Well, hello, my friends, welcome to Hope For Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad to have you joining me on this Thursday broadcast. Well, today I want to talk about a game changer in your life, and I'm talking specifically to husbands and wives. Now, my wife and I, by the grace of God, have been married almost 35 years, and in these 35 years, I have learned a lot of things that I should not do in marriage. I've learned a few things that have been very helpful in our marriage. But when we look at a particular portion of Scripture where Peter spends a lot of time talking about the husband-wife relationship, the husband and wife duty, some of the things I'm going to say today uh, may not agree with you. Uh, you may not agree with me, but uh, we're going to bring it back to the Word and see what God's Word says on this matter. So let's read the text, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. Now, Peter begins by saying, wives, in the same way... Submit yourselves to your own husbands. Now, I know right now, uh, all the women who are listening to me who are married, that's probably kind of got them ticked off, right? I'm um, to submit myself to my own husbands. And he talks about it in the same way, right? This is mutual submission to a degree, but it's also reminding us that Christ submitted to his Father in heaven. We submit to Christ, we submit to those who are in authority over us. Peter is now saying, in the same way, wives submit to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, but by the behavior of their wives. So, Peter is reminding us that, women, that you are the sanctifying factor within your home. If you are married to somebody who is not a believer, somebody who does not put their faith and trust in Christ— you should remain in that situation and if your husband abandons you that's one thing but here we have an example that a lot of new believers are entering into the church and as a result you'd have a husband that was saved and a wife that was not or vice versa and it was causing a major problem within the church and so Peter is giving some teaching on this to hopefully clarify what God's will is on this matter of husbands and wives duties he continues on he says you are to submit to your own husbands, because if you have one who does not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of your wives. Verse number two, 1 Peter three, when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as an elaborate hairstyle and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way that holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughter if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Uh, So, the first part of the passage that we've been learning today is dealing with wives. Now, we're getting into the issue of the husbands. And uh, very clear here that husbands should be considerate as you live with your wives, treating them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, that's not an insult. Really, a better word would be a fragile partner. And you think about something that is very fragile, but very expensive. You think about an expensive vase, for example. It is a weaker vessel than an ordinary clay cup, but is of high value. So it is protected, right? It's used for special purposes. And so here, that's the thing that Peter has in mind that our wives are set apart and they are fragile. They are our partners. And he says, as heirs with you, and the gracious gift of life. So here Peter is saying how we treat our wives really is a benefit to us as husbands. If we are gracious and respectful to our spouse, we receive that grace of life back. Not only does it help us to live a good life, but it also helps us to live a godly life. Peter says, if you treat your wife this way, with respect and kindness, then you will be able to have powerful prayers. Nothing will hinder your prayers. Verse number eight. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So we unpacked a lot here in these short nine verses, but I want you to know as we look at this passage, there's a lot of information about what submission is. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of the church is God. Now, when we couple the statement of Paul with what Peter has said, we've discovered that a game changer in our lives would be to understand what submission is and understand how we can benefit by living lives of submission. Now, submission is the key to unity and harmony in all human relationships, in the Godhead, in the church, in marriage, and in any relationship. Submission is the basis for unity. Now, the word submission here is a taso, which means to place or to rank under, to be subjected to, to obey. Now, as we look at this word, depending on where it is used in the text, it's often used as a verb that is a transliteration. And when we look at this, the definition would be that I'm placing myself under somebody, I'm being subject to somebody else for the matter of unity and for the matter of harmony. I willingly place myself under something, and I put myself in a position of being subjected to someone else. I guess maybe a better way to look at it is rank or order. God has a certain way of doing certain things, and we know this is true, right? We have rank and order in everything, whether it be uh, teams, sporting teams, whether it be places of employment, uh, you have different people who are over you and other people who are under you. That's just how God ordained it. And so when we look at this matter of submission, we've got to understand that God has this as a key to unity and harmony. Maybe a good passage of scripture would be to look at how Jesus Himself responded to this matter of authority. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, Paul says, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, here Paul is talking about what Jesus went through when he became a man, when he took on the form of a man. He says, I want you to find encouragement and how Christ responded. Christ lowered himself, and he went through this time of lowering himself because he did it for compassion, because he loved us. He actually put himself below us. He allowed himself to be under us. Now, this is mind-boggling when you think about it. God, who is all-powerful, lowered himself, taking on the form of a human. Now, Paul tells us that He didn't do this for selfish reasons. He didn't do it because he was conceited and filled with empty conceit, but he was humble, humble in mind. And as a result of that humility, he didn't just look out for his own interest. He looked out for the interest of others. You see, Jesus knew in order for him to be able to atone for our sins, he had to do that with humility. Uh, He couldn't do it with force. He willingly offered himself up as a sacrifice. He is showing himself to be in submission to his father. He is walking in humility. He is doing it for the sake of harmony and unity. He's wanting to build a relationship with us by offering himself as a sacrifice for our sins. He didn't have to do this. He willingly did this. So we've learned submission is the key to unity. Within a marriage you're going to discover there's a lot of Mutual submission. With the idea of submission coming in play when there is somebody that has to break the tie, you have a husband and a wife together. Sometimes there's going to be an issue where the wife sees it one way, the husband sees it the other way. Who casts the final vote? Well, it's the husband that casts the final vote. And I know that sounds to you as you're listening to this as very chauvinistic but you got to understand that Christ is the final determinator of what is wrong within the church. And when we think about how God gives leaders into the church, what happens if you have two leaders within one church who want to go in two different directions? Who is the one that casts the deciding vote? It is Christ himself. It is the Word of God. We submit to the Word of God. We always bring it back to the Word. The husband represents Christ within the marriage. Christ died for the church and gave himself as a sacrifice for it. The husband is willing to die for his family. You know, if somebody comes into your home and is going to take your life or the life of your family, right, the husband should be the one that is defending the family most, right? He should be on the front line. He shouldn't be hiding in the back saying his wife, hey, you go meet the guy at the door. I'm going to stay here where it's safe. I know the husband takes that role of protector and provider. Submission is key to have harmony within your marriage. Number two, when we look at this subject of submission, Satan's fall and his ongoing rebellion is a manifestation of his refusal to submit to God. He likewise tempts us the same way. He wants us to follow his footsteps. He wants us to have that same spirit of rebellion that was evident in Satan. As a matter of fact, Satan's spokesmen, that would be the false prophets, even to this day, right? Peter kind of weighs in on this. In 2 Peter chapter 2, it gives us some insight as to how Satan is filled with this refusal to submit to God. Let's look at it, 2 Peter 2, beginning at the second part of verse 9 and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the flesh and its corrupt desires and despise authority. Peter has given us an example of who is going to fall under the judgment of God. Those who don't want to be under authority, those who despise authority. He says they're daring, they're self-willed, They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power don't bring a rivaling judgment against them before the Lord. Here Satan abuses his power and his position. He's acting independently of God. Now when Satan is tempting Adam and Eve, he sought to get them to act independently of God, seeking what appeared to be their own self-interest in disobedience to God's command. So if you can hang in there and receive this statement, when you have a husband and a wife, and they are both striving to know God and to put Christ at the center of the relationship, if the wife refuses to submit to her husband, she is despising his authority. She's acting independently of her husband. She's also acting independently of God. She is stepping out from the umbrella of God's protection. The same is true with children. If children are not obeying the authority that God gives their parents, they're acting independently of God. They're stepping out to their own self-interests. They're stepping out in disobedience to God's command. When Satan tempted our Lord, Satan once again sought to induce our Lord to act independently of his Father. Instead of seeking his father, Satan tempted Jesus to seek his own self-interest. So Satan's fall and his ongoing rebellion is a manifestation of his refusal to submit to God. When we step out of the authority of those who God has placed over us, our big issue is not necessarily with that authority figure, but is more to do with our refusal to submit To God, because Romans 13 1 says the powers that be are ordained by God. How do we know that we're submitting to God? We submit to those authorities that God has placed over us. So we've learned a couple of things so far. Submission is the key to unity and harmony within human relationships. Number two is Satan's fall and his ongoing tribulation is a manifestation of his refusal to submit to God. Number three, submission is at the core of man's relationship with God. In the Garden of Eden, man was to submit to God, trusting his word and keeping his commandment. It was only one commandment that was given. Adam and Eve's sin was a revolt against God. It was a refusal to submit to him. Jesus represented the sin of Israel's religious leaders as the sin of insubmission, or we could say insubordination. They constantly challenged Jesus to prove his authority. They refused to submit to him, mocking his authority at the foot of his cross. You see, submission and sin are almost antithetical. Each is almost the exact opposite. Salvation is the solution to man's sin. When we're born again by faith in Christ, it is to a submission to God, to the authority of God's Word, and to Christ as a means of salvation. A man's refusal to submit to God brought about the fall of all of humanity. So when man becomes submissive to God, it brings about salvation. You see, submission is at the heart of discipleship. Jesus called men not only to believe in him, but to follow him. A disciple is a learner and a follower, a student who has submitted himself to his teacher. You see, submission is therefore one of the prominent themes of the epistles. When we are submissive to God, we discover that we tap into all of the benefits and the blessings of following Him. Now, I want to look at the contrast between worldly submission versus biblical submission. And I think this will be an eye-opener for you, because worldly submission really is limited. It's limited as men can make it. But biblical submission, however, is broad. Broad as mankind. Let me explain. The natural man tends to measure his worth how by his status. His status is determined by the ratio of those who are over him compared to those who are under him. In other words, the more people I have under me, then the more I am worth, the greater status I have. So the goal is, therefore, to reduce those in authority above you and increase the number under you. Now, maybe you're a husband listening to me, and that's kind of been your mindset of marriage, that I'm the boss, and my wife is to submit to me, right? And you think that is raising your worth and your status, because you have a wife, and now maybe you have children, and you think that you're the big man on campus, right? And uh, that they are are going to toe the line, and you want them to toe the line because that will be an increase to your worth or your status. You think that you are so great because you have this wife that follows you and you have this children that obey you in all submission. You're really falling into a worldly type of submission. I don't want my wife to submit to me so that I can say, look at how great of a husband I am. Look at how much status I have. It's the opposite, really, of that. The goal is not to have many people under me. The goal is to follow the kingdom of God. You see, in the eyes of the world, the greatest is the one who has no one over him. But in the kingdom of God, the greatest is the one who has everyone over them. Let's look at Mark chapter 9. It's talking about our dear Savior Christ. Picking up at verse number 33, it says that they came to Capernaum that was the disciples that were with Jesus, and they went into a house and they began to question him. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept quiet, for on the way they had discussed with one another which of them was going to be the greatest. So the disciples are being embarrassed because Jesus asked them, hey, what are you guys talking about? Now, he knew what they were talking about, but they got a little shy. They didn't say anything because They knew they were talking about who was going to be the greatest. Verse number 35. And sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them. He's going to answer their question about who's going to be the greatest without Jesus even being told what they were talking about because Jesus already knew what they were talking about. And he says, okay, I'm going to answer your question about who's going to be the greatest. If anybody wants to be first, he shall be last or least of all and servant of all. So Jesus picks up a child and he set him before them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one child like this in my name receives me. Whoever receives me doesn't receive me, but him who sent me. And I don't you love how Jesus is giving this amazing object lesson. He says, you guys are Uh, debating who's going to be the greatest, right? And you're thinking, the more people are under me, the greater I am. So he sits down and he says, if you want to be great, you got to be least. You don't want to be top, you want to be least. You don't want to be top of your game, you want to be on the bottom. And so he takes a child and he says, it's like this child. Now, in the days of Christ, children were not considered legitimate. Really, they were just kind of, they were children and they had no say, unlike our culture today, right? Uh, We're Children are leading many families, right? And in the days of Christ, children were not considered valuable. It wasn't until you became an adult that you were really recognized as one of value. So he gets a child, and he picks him up, and he sets him before the disciple and says, if you want to be great, you got to be like a child. If you don't receive me, you're not receiving Christ. Amazing what Christ does. He turns their understanding of submission upside down. The child was humble because he knew in society's eyes he was nothing and he became a man. But Jesus says, this child, who you consider nothing, if you receive him, you receive me in the same manner. Let's continue on in chapter number 10. Let's jump down to the middle of chapter number 10, because Jesus is not done on this subject yet. In verse number 2, calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, Again, he's got his disciples gathered around. Uh, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles, lorded over them. And their great men exercise authority over them. And so Jesus is still talking on this matter of submission. He brings a child in and drives on the point uh, that whoever receives me doesn't receive me, but receives the one who sent me just as whoever receives the child, his name receives me. And now he's driving home what the world would define as one who is of great authority. He says, you know, the Gentile leaders, they they lord over them. Their great men exercise authority over them. But it's not so among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus says, I am lowering myself. The Son of Man has not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. When you look at biblical submission in a marriage, I promise you, husbands, if your wife believes that you are willing to lay down your life for her, and that you love her more than you love yourself, and that you're willing to put yourself beneath her, you will have no trouble with her submitting to you. Well, join me tomorrow as we continue on this theme from God's Word on this whole subject of, of what a game changer is in the husband and wife duty. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Man, I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're going through a hard time in your marriage. Or maybe you need somebody to just pray for you. Man, I'd be honored to pray for you. I want you to know you can have a healthy and a wholesome marriage, a God-honoring marriage, if you put first Christ in that marriage. If I can pray for you, shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. Several of you have texted me, and many of you have emailed me. I so appreciate uh, the communication that we receive, I want you to know that I'm praying fervently for you that God will bring healing to your marriage and that your marriage will be a marriage made in heaven. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at Buzzsprout.com/backslash one eight nine zero five five seven, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast.